0: Uh, this study, I hope you've enjoyed this. It, it, it's challenging, right? I, I, every week when I, every week when I uh, read and produce this outline, I'm going. This is very challenging stuff. But this, it, it's obviously biblical. I don't think anyone could argue with that. This is biblical. The scriptures call us to find our contentment in God and in Christ. And um, also another thing that kept coming to my mind is that this is what should happen if we really believe what we say we believe. You know if we really believe that our 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 uh, salvation is in Christ jesus that that we have a rich inheritance in him that our treasures are stored up not here but in heaven, if we really believe all of that that we've been reconciled to God the Father through faith in him, etc, uh, then this must be true. Um, we must pursue contentment and lay a hold of it in christ um, so a very challenging study but very true study, a very good and helpful one for us. So let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll go through point 6 through 13 on the evils of a murmuring spirit. Father in heaven, do help us. Um, Help us to have minds that understand this teaching. Help us to have hearts that believe it. Help us to in fact do what the scriptures say to pursue contentment and to lay a hold of it, O Lord. Would You bless us in this way? Bless us with this precious gift of contentment so that we might have peace in our hearts, so that we might have joy, so that we might have satisfaction in Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there are 13 great evils in a murmuring spirit um, in a discontented heart laid laid out in this book. Uh, We considered the first five last week. We will consider numbers 6 through 13 uh, today. Uh, Number six, by murmuring you undo your prayers, Burroughs says. By murmuring you undo your prayers, for it is exceedingly contrary to the prayer that you make to God. His point is this, when we go to God in prayer, uh, we submit ourselves to God the Father. We pray that He would be glorified, uh, that His kingdom would be advanced, that His will would be done. So in prayer, we bow before the Father, we submit ourselves to Him, and by murmuring and complaining, we do the opposite, right? So, we, we rise up from prayer, where we submit ourselves to the Father, and then we begin to grumble and complain about uh, the things uh, that we experience in life. So, there's a great contradiction. I'll read Burroughs now. I think he states it very beautifully. "...By murmuring, you undo your prayers, for it is exceedingly contrary to the prayer that you make to God." When you come to pray to God, you acknowledge His sovereignty over you. You come there to profess yourselves to be at God's disposal. What do you pray for unless you acknowledge that you are at His disposal? Unless you will stand, as it were, at His disposal, never come to petition Him. If you will come to petition Him and yet will be your own carver, you go contrary to your prayers." To come as if you would beg your bread at your Father's gates every day, and yet you must do what you list. This is the undoing of the prayers of a Christian. Uh, when I read that, I, um, I thought, there's a lesson concerning prayer here too, isn't there? Um, I think so many Christians... They, they come to prayer not, first of all, to submit themselves to God, but to bring their desires to Him. Are we permitted to bring our desires to God in prayer? The answer is yes. In fact, our catechism defines prayer in this this way, that prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. Um, right? So, that is an aspect of prayer. And I've been trying to drive this home with, with you all in the second service um, Notice the order to the Lord's Prayer. Before we ask for daily provision, we ask for the glory of God, the furtherance of His kingdom, the accomplishment of His will, not ours. So, first there's an act of submission. Then we act for, ask for daily provision, but it is daily bread that we ask for. So, it's a competent portion of the good things of this life, along with that ability to enjoy His blessings with Him. But we have to remember the order. Lord, give us our daily bread so that we might live for Your for your glory, for the furtherance of the kingdom, your, the accomplishment of your will. So there's a lesson about prayer here also. even though this is not about prayer, this is about contentment. There's a lesson about prayer. In prayer, we come and we submit ourselves to God. We acknowledge His sovereignty. We profess that we are at His disposal. And he even says here, rather sharply, what do you pray what, what do you pray for unless you acknowledge that you are at His disposal?" In other words, why are you praying unless this is what you're doing? So again, we must pray in this way, and then we must realize that it's a contradiction to rise up from prayer, this kind of prayer, and then to go on grumbling. Uh, Here's a little quote from Latimer, speaking concerning Peter, who denied his master. Peter forgot his paternoster, for that was, hallowed be thy name, and thy kingdom come. Uh, There's obviously a context to this little statement here, but Peter denied Christ three times... And Latimer says, the real problem was that Peter forgot to pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, That's what the word paternoster refers to. It's Latin for our Father. So, uh, that's a way of referring to the Lord's Prayer. Peter, the reason he denied his Lord is because he forgot the Lord's Prayer. He forgot in that moment to submit himself to uh, the Father uh, to live for the glory of God, for the furtherance of His kingdom and for the accomplishment of His will. That was the, the real problem that Peter had. He forgot the Lord's Prayer in that moment and to live according to it. And so, that is point six. We contradict ourselves. If we submit ourselves to God in prayer and then go on grumbling, it's a contradiction. Seven, uh, here is another evil of the, um, the evils of, of discontentment Uh, The woeful woeful effects that come to a discontented heart from murmuring. So there are terrible effects that come upon the heart uh, when we murmur and complain against God. By murmuring and discontent in your hearts, you come to lose a great deal of time. I love that. (laughs) It's just such a, a wonderful observation. You're wasting your time. You only have a limited amount of time here on earth, all, all of our days are numbered even if we live to a very old age, still our lives are very brief and but a vapor, uh, the Scriptures say. And when you murmur and complain you, you waste time, you, you accomplish nothing. Uh, you could uh, do better things with your time. You can give thanks to God and give glory to His name and spend time serving serving Him. So that is one of the woeful effects that come to a discontented heart by murmuring. Also, it unfits you for duty. In other words, uh, it, it it makes you unfit for service to God. If a man or woman is in a contented frame, you may turn such a one to anything at any time, and he is fit to go to God at any time. But when one is discontented in that condition, uh, then a man or woman is exceedingly unfit for the service of God. This is so true. If, if, you're, if you're wallowing in self-pity, if you're, uh, if you're depressed inwardly and, and discontented inwardly, you're not in a position to serve the Lord or to serve others, are you? You're, you're too weak to do so inwardly. Uh, But to be in a contented frame, uh, to be inwardly at peace and satisfied, you may in a moment's notice go to the service of God and go to the service of others. So this is another woeful effect. C. Consider what wicked risings of heart and resolutions of spirit there are many times in a discontented fit. Uh, The Old English is sometimes difficult to, to track with, right? But what Burroughs is saying here is that men and women will sometimes do very foolish things. They will decide to do very foolish things in, in, in the midst of a discontented fit. They'll, they'll be given over to frustration and to despair, and they'll make foolish choices. Um, uh, so, this is another woeful effect of a discontented heart. Finally, there is the evil effect in murmuring. It causes shiftings of spirit uh here Burroughs is referring to how the person who is discontented is going to be up and down always you know um, just there's not going to be that peace but they'll be driven like a wave that's tossed by the wind you know that, that that will be the the condition of their soul and uh so this is another evil effect it causes shiftings of spirit we ought to be faithful we ought to have a stability we ought to be at peace and when we are at peace, we're able to live fruitful lives to the glory of God. But with discontentment, we're, we're just unsettled constantly. And this is, this is a woeful effect. Number eight, there is, a great, there is a great of folly. I don't know if that's how it's stated in the book. It doesn't sound right to my ear. But there is a great deal of folly. Thank you. Extreme folly in a discontented heart. It is a foolish sin. Uh, first of all, it takes away the present comfort of what you have, because you have not something that you would have. So this is foolishness, to to be so to, to lack the comfort that you ought to have right now um, because of discontentment. It's a foolish way to live. Uh, one person could look at what they have, give thanks to God for it, be at peace inwardly. Another person with the exact same situation in life could look at everything that they don't have grumble and complain against God concerning what they do not have and, and be miserable inwardly. You see it's a choice that we have to make. Uh, it's really not about our condition. It's about our perspective. It's about our outlook. I, this just came to mind. You know you know how some will teach the power of positive thinking and we listen to preachers who who preach this way. They, they neglect the gospel. They talk about how we can do good for ourselves by just thinking positively, etc., you know the, the reason teaching like that takes off is because there is a kernel of truth in it. You understand? There is a kernel of truth in it. When it's when that's taught to the neglect of the gospel, when that's taught to the neglect of discussion about sin and the need for repentance, and when that's taught to the neglect of teaching regarding suffering, and the, it's it's awful. But the reason it takes off is because there is a kernel of truth in it. Attitude is everything. You know, there, there's a you've heard that expression before. Of course, it's not everything, but there's a kernel of truth in that statement, right? Uh, when you wake up in the, in the morning, it, the attitude that you decide to bring to the day is going to have a massive effect upon the rest of the day and, and your productiveness and uh, whether or not you're able to live for the glory of God. Uh, so, we should not reject that kind of teaching outright. We have to recognize there is a kernel of truth in it. And so, again, um, we, we we need to make this decision, brothers and sisters, to have a grateful attitude before God, to be thankful to Him, to be positive, uh, to look at what we have and to give thanks to the Lord. Um, Where was I in the outline here? It takes away the present comfort. Um, B. By all your discontent you cannot help yourselves, you cannot get anything by it. Who by taking care can add one cubit to his stature or make one hair that is white to be black? Here you can hear the allusion to the teaching of Christ regarding a worry or anxiety. You know what is the point of it? It accomplishes nothing at all for you to be anxious. Um, in fact, the only thing it does is it, it robs you of joy. It robs you of blessing. It probably shortens your life. I mean, we know that our days are numbered, but you understand what I mean. It only takes away. Uh, so. It it adds nothing to us. There is no point in it. We ought to just trust in the Lord and give thanks to Him. So, we do not help ourselves at all by discontentment. C. There are commonly many foolish attitudes that a discontent heart is guilty of. They carry themselves foolishly towards God and towards men. So, it's not only the discontentment, but the discontentment itself produces many other foolish things. Foolish attitudes. And we act as fools then before God and before men... Because of uh, our discontentment. D, discontent and murmuring eats out the good and sweetness of a mercy before it comes. I think there's a word picture here, an illustration in the book regarding that worm that eats out the nut. Um, So you crack the nut expecting to find the meat of the nut, but it's only empty or it's rotten, and Burroughs says that's kind of how discontentment works, you know, it, it, it just, it eats out the blessing. Therefore, for my part, Burroughs says, this is a strong statement, If I should have a friend or brother or one who was as dear to me as my own soul, whom I saw discontented for the want of such a comfort, I would rather pray, Lord, keep this thing from them, till you shall be pleased to humble their hearts for their discontent. Let not them have the mercy till they come to be humbled for their discontent over the want of it. For if they have it before that time, they will have it without any blessing. Uh, I think this is a mark of spiritual maturity that we see in Burroughs. Um, that when he prayed for those who were dear to him, he prayed in this way. Not simply, Lord, would you give them this thing, um, Give them this blessing, give them this money, give them this job, give them this possession. But rather he had this wisdom to look upon a situation and and to to see that what the soul really needed first was humility before God and contentment for God. So he says, I would I would rather pray that the Lord would withhold the blessing and give the contentment instead of giving the blessing before the contentment was obtained. How would you like to have Burroughs as your pastor praying for you in that way? Um, in fact, I do pray for you in that way. Um, I, I think this is the more precious thing. This is more precious than silver and gold. Uh, to have a heart that is right with God and at peace before Him. Uh, and we need to see that that the Lord is working that way within the congregation continuously. We need to pray for one another with, with this kind of mindset, Understand. Uh, that the greatest blessing isn't necessarily the relief of some suffering or or gaining some worldly blessing. That that's not the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing is being right with God and and, and growing in our understanding of how rich we are before Him and, and drawing closer to Him through faith in Christ, etc. So we need to pray that way, brothers and sisters. There's nothing wrong with bringing our desires to the Lord and praying for uh, relief and, and 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 for the blessings of this life, but. Let us keep everything in proper perspective and in proper order. E. It makes our affliction a great deal worse than otherwise it would be. It in no way removes our afflictions. Indeed, while they continue, they are a great deal the worse and heavier. For a discontented heart is a proud heart, and a proud heart will not pull down its sails when there comes a tempest and a storm. First of all, I think it is important to um, make the connection... That Burroughs does here between discontentment and pride. There is a connection between discontentment and pride. It's already been said in other ways. Maybe it's been said this directly before, but um, I think before that the the observation has been made that. In order to be content we must humble ourselves before the Lord. In, in fact he's talked about how a dog comes crouching before its master begging for a morsel of, of food and we need to have that disposition before God. You know, uh, we, we need to have that low and humble disposition before Him. Uh, so it was stated in that way. There's a connection between contentment and humility or contentment and submission before God but here he uses the word pride. There's a there's a connection between pride and discontentment. You know, we, we, we stand up tall and we puff out our chests and we say, Lord, You owe this to me. <laughs> you know, and, and I will not be happy unless You give it. Uh, that, that, is, that is not uh, the proper posture before the Lord. And it will lead us to be ever discontent with the things of, of this life. Um, he talks about how a prideful person will not pull down the sails in the midst of a storm. That's a wonderful picture isn't it? A prideful sailor. The storm is coming but he wants to, he wants to make good time so he leaves his sails up. You know, In his pride he does not submit himself to the power of the storm. He leaves his sails up and what does it bring except ruin. The mast is broken. The, the, the ship is lost. Um, so we in life, when the storms of life come, must be willing to pull down the sails and to say, Lord, I wish it were otherwise, I wish the days were sunny, I wish I could make good time and continue on the course that I thought I was going to take. But according to your uh, your, your providence, the storm has come, I will pull down the sails and I will wait. I will wait upon you, O oh God, to 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 allow this affliction to pass and uh, I will take a different course in submission to your will. That's very good. Um, The other other thing that I want to emphasize under um, letter E is is the obvious observation that with discontentment we find that the afflictions are much worse than they otherwise would be. Uh, There have been members in this congregation who have gone through great afflictions over the past Year. I mean, it's always present. It feels like we were kind of bombarded with lots of afflictions, you know. And um, I, it, it's so true, though. To, to and I've counseled in this way um, in the past, and even recently. It, it, it's so true. The affliction itself is heavy enough. Yes. Why would you then throw upon your back the weight of worry, the weight of despair? And decide to carry that too. The affliction is heavy enough. Why would you decide to carry a heavier weight now by trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future and being anxious about it? Instead, pull down your sails, submit yourselves to the Lord and wait upon Him. Submit yourself under His mighty hand until He decides to lift you up. You know, um, Just be patient uh, with the affliction uh, and wait upon the Lord. And uh, you yourselves have experienced this. What does the Lord do? He preserves His people. He's faithful to His covenant promises. He brings them through. He sustains them. He refines them. And you have you have walked through the storms of life, uh, little ones and big ones, and you come out the other end and you see that the Lord has done a great work through the affliction. So trust the Lord that He'll do the same thing now in the midst of the affliction. So when we decide to be discontent and, and, and to and to act not by faith, but to be overcome by worry and fear. We only make matters worse for ourselves. Not only are we afflicted maybe in the body, let's say, or financially or something like that with the things of the world, but now we're deeply afflicted in the soul too. And that's the real affliction, isn't it? To be afflicted in the soul, uh, that's a very miserable thing. It's especially miserable when life is hard and you need to be inwardly strong. And so, be strong in faith, humble yourself before the Lord, wait upon Him to lift you out of the the miry pit, out of the bog. Number nine, there is a great deal of danger in the sin of discontentment, for it highly provokes the wrath of God. Here Burroughs returns to a theme that he's brought to our attention before. Um, I think previously he has said, listen, the sin of discontentment is actually a great sin. Um, we tend to think of other sins as great sins and to neglect the sin of grumbling as if it were a small one. But in fact, in the Scriptures we see that it's a major theme and it is referred to as being a great sin even provoking the wrath of God upon his people. He makes mention I think in this section to the Exodus and we saw this in the book of Exodus how the people being redeemed from Egypt grumbled 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 and complained in the wilderness and the Lord was displeased with them and here he cites numbers 14:26 and 27 and the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. And I remember Burroughs in this book uh, noticing that the word grumble is repeated three times in this very short passage. Grumble, grumble, grumble. You know, And the Lord is ready to wipe them out, in fact, because of their grumbling. Uh, He viewed their their complaining against Him as a great evil. In fact, it is, because it reveals that there is no faith in the heart. We saw it with Israel, they were just miraculously rescued from Egyptian bondage, you know, brought out of harsh slavery and, and miserable conditions by the mighty hand of God, and yet they did not have the faith to follow the Lord with with um, with, with humility and with confidence in the wilderness. They grumbled against Him continuously. Psalm 106 makes reference to this, um, the Exodus experience, then they dis- Buys the pleasant land, having no faith in His promise. So there it is. This is about a lack of faith. They murmured in their tents, and they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore He raised His hand and swore to them that He would make them fall in the wilderness. So this grumbling and complaining, this murmuring, this lack of faith provoked the Lord's wrath. Here are the words of Burroughs, an exhortation to us. Those who stand by and see you in a murmuring, discontented fit have cause to say, Oh, let us go and take the censer, let us go to prayer, for we are afraid that the wrath is gone out against this family, against this person. Here he is referring to the way in which Moses responded to this threat of God's wrath being poured out upon uh, the people of Israel and how a censer was taken into the midst of the multitude to stop the plague that was spreading. Uh, through the the congregation and he's saying listen we ought to have the same impulse when we see that a person or a family or a congregation is given over to grumbling and complaining against the lord this should be our in- this should be our instinct to take the censor as it were that is to say to go to prayer and to ask the lord to have mercy upon this person or this family or congregation and it would be a very good thing for you who are A godly wife, when you see your husband come home and start murmuring because things are not going according to his desire to go to prayer and say, Lord, pardon the sin of my husband. And similarly, for a husband to go to God in prayer, falling down and beseeching him that wrath may not come out against his family for the murmuring of his wife. Um, A very pointed application here. I appreciate that he said that a wife should go to what? prayer for her husband. And that a husband should do what? To go to prayer uh, for his wife. It may be that the husband and wife encourage one another and offer counsel too, but the very first thing we should do is, is go to prayer and ask the Lord to have mercy upon us and, and to change the heart of our friend or our loved one, our spouse, our congregation. Uh, we need to begin in prayer. And he draws all of that from the story of, of the Exodus Number 10, there is a great curse of God upon murmuring and discontentment. So far as it prevails in one who is wicked, it has the curse of God upon it. Um, A similar point to the previous one. And in Deuteronomy 28, 67, Burroughs says, it is threatened as a curse of God upon men that they cannot be content with their present condition. But they shall say in the morning, would God but they shall say in the morning would god it were even even what is this okay would god it were evening and at evening would god it were morning so they lie tossing up and down and cannot be content with any condition that they are in because of the sore afflictions that are upon them. Therefore it is further threatened as a curse upon them, in the 34th verse, that they should be mad for the sight of their eyes, which they should see. This is but the extremity and their discontentedness, that, that is, they shall be so discontented that they shall even be mad. Mad here means, not angry by the way, but um, given over to a form of what we would call insanity. You know, They're driven... They're driven mad by their discontent. Um, many men and women in discontented moods are a mad sort of people. And though you may please yourself with such a mad kind of behavior, you should know that it is a curse of God upon men to be given up to a kind of madness for evils which they imagine have come upon them and which they fear. Um, I think this is a marvelous little section, actually. Um, I'm sorry for the typo here. In the evening they say, Oh, that it were morning. And in the morning they say, Oh, that it were evening. And so they live day after day in this discontented frame of mind. Right? Um, The moment is never enjoyed. You know, the moment is never enjoyed. Every morning, I can't wait till it's evening. Every evening... Can't wait till it's morning, you know. Every Monday, I can't wait till it's Friday. And right, I mean, you see this this way of life. It it's miserable. It's a miserable way of life, and it you could see how it 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 can drive men into a state of madness. Into a state of madness. I've seen it. Where men seem to lose their minds because they're so overwhelmed with discontentment. Uh, this is not a sin to be played with. We've already seen that it provokes the wrath of God, that it is a great evil. I think th- that language is not too strong. Um, it's not too strong. And in fact, the effects that it has upon a soul can be very, very destructive. I think it can lead men to madness. Um, Because we're never at peace. We're we're never satisfied with what we have. But always looking at what we do not have. It's a form of insanity. 11. There is much of the spirit of Satan in a murmuring spirit. Here I'll only quote a short part. The devil is the most discontented creature in the world. He is the proudest creature, that is. And the most discontented creature, the most dejected creature. If, If we were to... You talk about the the character of the evil one, we would say really at the core it is this, pride and discontent. Not satisfied with being a creature of God, but wanting in fact to have the power of God Himself. You know, he, He's a discontented creature. And indeed this was at the core of the first sin of Adam and Eve. They listened to the voice of the evil one, but what was their sin? Pride and discontent really. They did not want to submit themselves to the will of the Lord, but wanted to accomplish their own wills. 12, if you have a murmuring spirit, you must then have a disquiet all of the days of your life. While we are in this world, God has so ordered things that afflictions must befall us. And if we will complain and be discontented at every cross and affliction, why? We must complain and be discontented all the days of our life. In other words, this is just how life is. You know, this is just how life is. It's filled with trials and with afflictions. Um, the Lord told us that this is how life will be. in, in the world we will suffer, we will face even persecution, um, men will hate us, they hated our Lord. they will hate us too. I'm here making allusions to the teachings of Christ very quickly, right? It's not as if the Lord said something else to us, "Hey, everything's going to be fine. You're going to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous, etc. Um, he didn't say that. He, he, he said otherwise, this is just the way that life is, and, and so we need to square with that reality. Uh, and if we're unable to square with that reality and to find our contentment in God in the midst of our affliction, then we are, going, we, then we are doomed to be uh, disquieted all the days of our life. We, we're disquieted now. You'll be disquieted tomorrow and you'll be disquieted the day that you die. Unless you learn this lesson to, to find your joy and hope and peace in God and in the things of, of God. Finally, number 13... There is this further dreadful evil and discontent and murmuring, God may justly withdraw His care for you and His protection over you, seeing God cannot please you in this administration. We would say so to discontented servants. If you are not pleased, better yourselves when you will. If you have a servant who is not content with his diet and wages and work, you say, better yourselves. So may God Justly say to us, we who profess ourselves servants to him to be in his work and yet are discontented with this thing or that in God's household, God might just say, Better yourselves. What is God? Uh, what if God should say to any of you, If my care over you does not please you, then take care of yourselves. If my protection over you will not please you, then protect yourselves. Um, you understand what he means by better yourselves. Um, well, it, You know, take take care of yourself. Um, If you're not if you're not pleased with what I'm doing for you, um, and of course this would be this would be the judgment of God to give a person over to their grumblings. This is another way of speaking of God giving a person over to the desires of their heart. You know, you're you're not going to be content with the lot in life that I have given to you. Then, then the Lord may withdraw his his kindness. Uh, his kindness from us, his grace in some way. Of course he will not withdraw himself from someone who is truly saved you understand but you get the point Um, what is said here, the Lord may give us over to our sin in order to mortify the flesh further for those who are in Christ Jesus. Conclusion now to this, Um, now then my brethren, put all these points together, those we spoke of in the last chapter and these points that have been added now in this chapter for setting out a murmuring and discontented spirit, uh, for getting rid of it. Oh, what an ugly face has this sin of murmuring and discontentedness. Oh, what cause is there that we should lay our hands upon our hearts and go away and be humble before the Lord because of this. Whereas your thoughts were want to be exercised about providing for yourselves and getting more comforts for yourselves, let the stream of your thoughts now be turned to humble yourselves for your discontentedness. Oh, that your hearts may break before God, for otherwise you will fail, fall to it again. Oh, the wretchedness of man's heart, you find in Scripture concerning the people of Israel how strangely they fell to their murmuring again and again." Uh, in this um, section, there's a, a a bit more in the chapter after this concluding remark and and he returns to the scriptures to show this pattern in Israel, how they would go back to their grumbling and complaining over and over and over again. It's such a prominent feature in in the Pentateuch uh, in the Exodus story. They just kept going back to this great sin. And maybe it's in this section uh, or in another. Perhaps it was in the first part, in fact, of of, of this lesson, um, how uh, Burroughs showed that that if we do not deal with discontentment generally, you know, uh, we, we might find contentment in one thing, but we'll immediately be discontent in another. So we have to root this sin out thoroughly so that we truly are contented in the Lord. We do not find our satisfaction in the things of this world. Uh, So that we don't simply just jump from one issue to the next. You know, I'm discontent here. Okay, I've dealt with that. Fine. Uh, But we're discontent now with this over here. That seemed to be Israel's sin. You know, they didn't have food, and so they were discontented. And then they didn't have a particular kind of food. And then they were without water. These are serious things to be without food and water, by the way, (laughs) in the wilderness. The Lord was testing them. But it was one thing to the next with them. And they were constantly murmuring against the Lord. I left some time for questions, comments. Anything from from you brothers and sisters nothing at all huh I should have just taken the remaining five minutes again uh, as I began I, I if we really believe what we say we believe we, we need to lay a hold of contentment uh, brothers and sisters. It is a precious gift. Uh, In this chapter, we have looked at the evils of a murmuring spirit. So, it's been negative. Here's how evil the murmuring is. We do need to wrestle with the fact that it is a great evil, don't we? So that we might turn from the sin into the good. But uh, the good of having contentment has been uh, laid before us in previous chapters. And then uh, chapter 10 is entitled, The Aggravations of the Sin of Murmuring. Uh, So we're going to talk about some of the things that drive us to murmur. Um, And then the excuses of a discontented heart. Here are some of the excuses that people will make. I won't go through the rest of the book here uh, to show you the chapter headings. But um, I I think things are going to get more and more specific and more and more practical as we go. You know, well, what is it that provokes discontentedness in us Uh, That's an important question to ask. And then what are the excuses uh, that men and women typically make? You probably can guess because you probably have made these excuses yourselves, you know. Yeah, but this affliction is just so difficult. Uh, Certainly it's okay that I grumble and complain against the Lord, etc., etc. Good stuff ahead of us. Let's bow for a word of prayer and then um, get ready for morning worship. Our Father in Heaven, we again thank you for the rich teaching uh, that has been brought to us uh, through Jeremiah Burroughs. Uh, We thank you uh, for his labors, um, these things that he has done so long ago that they've been preserved for us. We thank you above all for the Holy Scriptures, which are a light to our feet. We thank you for the way that the Scriptures magnify you and magnify Christ and call us to find our satisfaction in you, O Lord. So help us to do this very thing. Help us to put this to practice. Help us to put away murmuring and complaining and discontentment and to truly find our joy and peace in you. Give us this strength, we pray in Christ's name.